welcome to the Hunt Backcountry Podcast, presented by Exo Mountain Gear. This podcast and the gear that we produce at Exo Mountain Gear share the same purpose, to make you a more capable, confident, and successful backcountry hunter. This show is all about providing you with valuable information from experienced hunters. To learn more about the podcast or about our backcountry hunting packs, visit exomountaingear.com. Well, welcome, guys. We are excited to kick off this new series, The Roundtable. We're talking with experienced hunters, asking them the same question, giving them the same talking point or topic for each of the next five episodes. So in this episode, we talk about failures and comebacks. How have these guys, who have experienced so much success over the years, bounced back from quote-unquote failure? How did they make their comeback? How did they push through when things were difficult? So that's the topic of today. We have six different answers from six different experienced hunters. If you want to learn more about the guys that we chose for this roundtable, go check out the latest Monday Minute. It was Monday Minute 40. Steve and I talk about who these guys are, why we chose them. You can also look at the show notes and see links to their social media profiles, get in contact with them, and let them know that you appreciated what they share in this series. So again, these same six guys are going to join us each week this month in July of 2019 for the roundtable. We'll have a new topic every week. Also this month, we are giving away a Hoyt Helix bow. That's right, a bow giveaway. Go to exomountaingear.com forward slash podcast and look for the giveaway link there. It takes just a couple seconds to enter, super easy. And thank you to Hoyt for offering this for you guys, our listeners. So again, exomountaingear.com forward slash podcast, get entered to win that Hoyt Helix. All right, let's dive right into this discussion on failures and comebacks. First up is Ryan Lampers. Ah, failures and comebacks. I have, when thinking about that, I, uh, man, I have so many failures thinking back, especially in a lot of the archery hunts. And I, you know, like I said, I should probably talk about an archery hunt where I, where I blew out a buck or something like that. But one of, one of my favorite hunts that I think back on happened to be a rifle hunt, uh, November rifle hunt in, um, in an area I had never seen. Um, I'll, I'll just say it. It's not a secret. Northwest Montana. I, I love just picking apart that country up there. It's, it's, it's really hard to hunt. It's thick. It's, uh, it's got so much to, uh, I mean, so much to the imagination with, with that country. There's, there's glassing isn't always a great option, but, um, burns was, um, one of the things that I've always looked for up there. And, it's funny. I, I had thought I had done so much homework on this hunt. I went through all my mapping, went through Onyx, you know, all these things. And, um, I had talked to some biologists picking out a bunch of different fires in the backcountry that were significantly away from roads that maybe just burned out and, and weren't tackled too much. And that was kind of my game plan for this hunt. I was, I was just trying to get off the beaten path, find burns in that thick country. And, I had talked to this gal on a, um, one of the biologists up there and she had told me about this one that it was only like three quarters of a mile to a mile where the fire ended from the closest road. And, uh, that, that one kind of got me excited. And out of all the days of talking to biologists, um, prior to that hunt, this one, I happened to be talking to on the drive over to, uh, Montana 
and uh, just looking for, you know, other little bits and pieces. And lo and behold, I, I decided that that one just sounded the best. And I wanted to check that out first. Um, so I went into this area. It had, to, like I said, it had a burn quite a ways from the road, three quarters of a mile was where it ended. And uh, that first day got up in there, had a bunch of snow. Weather was really, really bad, which I felt like was really, really good had uh, really cold conditions, um, nobody up there, nobody around. And it was one of those fires, one of those burns that you just, you couldn't see it from a road. You couldn't see it from anywhere unless you were in a chopper or had seen it on, um, you know, one of the recent fires. And this was just a recent, um, I think two years prior got up in there and, uh, it was kind of this, this old snaky, somewhat of a trail, goat trail type thing that, that brought me up and it plopped me out right at the bottom end of this burn. And, uh, gosh, right away I started seeing some bucks or seeing some buck tracks, um, seeing some doe tracks and, and, uh, so I was getting pretty excited. And I think I only made it about a hundred yards up into that burn the first day and, uh, kind of just came over this rise, just going real slow. And, and not even, it's probably about 40 yards, 50 yards in front of me, um, to my left, um, bunch of does stood up and then this buck stands up and he's facing away from me. And, you know, when bucks are facing away from you, they're just giants, <laughs> whether they're big or not. This one was a giant and he had like stickers and stuff. And, uh, and like I said, this is a rifle hunt and, um, gosh, dang, I, I got set up on this log and I went to pull the trigger on this buck and, and, uh, gun wouldn't go off. Well, it was so cold. It was in the minus temps. And, um, and this is my lesson learned is I, I hadn't thought about the cold temps. I was going to be in that. And I had not degreased my rifle. And, um, so that firing pin was all jammed up and just froze up in there. It gelled up. So I uh, could not get that gun to go off for the life of me. And I had to watch that buck just, you know, get up and walk away and they all took off up the hill and you know then what do you do you can't get the thing to go off uh, i ended up warming it up getting it to go off but um i had to go back and drive quite a ways back to a town and degrease that thing and um ended up going back up in there and day after day that where those bucks where that buck had gone they'd gone to the top end of the burn which was you know a couple miles from where I'd first seen it. And uh, I tracked it up in there and the snow got so bad. It was like, you know, it was like up to my crotch up there, um, just plowing through that snow. And, and they had gone all the way back up to the top of the hill. And, um, like I said, I, I spent the next days, I camped at the bottom end of that, of that burn. And, um, and it was day after day. I just, I was hoping I would get another crack at that buck. And it was an area where there's just not a lot of deer. I quickly realized like that was the group the only group. And during that hunt, I, I saw one other small buck. Um, but, uh, man, it took six days before I came back onto that buck. And that sixth day, uh, I, I wish I'd had a bow in my hand cause I ended up coming onto it and uh, got a 30 yard shot on that thing. And I just, I just couldn't believe it after that much time, um, in such a, you know, an area where there's so few deer that I was finally able to get back onto that buck and, 
And where I did get back onto him was probably like 200 yards from where I first saw him down at the bottom end of that burn. They'd finally kind of worked their way back down. And, and I had been close to that buck kind of tracking him all over the hill several times, but just with the snow and, and the way the weather was, I was never able to actually lay eyes on him until that sixth day. And lo and behold, I, I got that sucker and he was 31 inches and just a big old giant, you know, Northwest Montana buck that, um, you know, never, never hunting that specific spot before. And it just felt like, uh, man, couldn't have worked out better with, uh, talking to that biologist and she kind of pointed me to this spot and, and then was able to pull that monster out of there. And, um, that was my failure. And next we are joined by Cody Kellum of born and raised outdoors. The interesting thing, like I've had a ton of failures in, in my hunting career. I have not had a lot of comebacks. Um, I, I've, uh, I've definitely, I've been triumphant early on, but, um, it seems like when I've failed, I've learned a lot of things, but one thing comes to mind where it, it really came full circle. And I actually literally on like the last weekend of season was able to, uh, to come through. And that was, uh, so it was 2009, um, it was we uh, Roosevelt elk hunting. We were on mountain bikes, and a lot of our traditional um, grounds that we had always hunted were empty. I mean, we could not turn up an elk to save our life. And um, it was actually Ty Stubblefield and Steve and I. We um, that season was going rough for me. I had uh, shoulder bladed a bull the uh, first weekend of a week vacation it was like the third week of season and the bull i mean i had like two inches of penetration um no blood I, there's a hundred percent chance that that bull lived in my opinion and so i at that point like in that point of the season it's like i had my chance so now ty was up and steve was up and um you know we couldn't find elk and ty literally he he said you know, I used to hunt this spot when I first started bow hunting and there was elk all over it. And of course this was a Thai story. So, you know, we, we have to go through this, uh, like vetting it, if this is a reality or not. And, um, uh, it, and it, it did end up being that way. And so we biked into this spot 20 miles on a mountain bike and Steve and I are looking at him like, what, like, are you sure about this? And he's like, there used to be elk all over. Of course, um, he may have accessed it by three-wheeler back in the day, which may not have been like the right way to do it because it was closed to motorized vehicles. But So he didn't quite realize what we were getting ourselves into. And uh, sure enough, we got in there, and the first day in there, Ty killed a spike bull. Um, that was the, the birth of three arrow. He shot that bull three times right in front of us. Bull died right there. Um, we packed that bull out another, you know, this, the next morning, 20 miles out. Went back in there. Steve killed a spike the next day. And uh, so here it is, like my opportunity after making, you know, a shot placement mistake. And um, we, we went back in there and it, by, this had lapsed now a few days. And the last weekend of season, um, Trevor was with me. Steve and Ty couldn't make it. And um, finally had the opportunity at a bull and it was it was actually one of the bulls that we found that first time in there with Ty that that week or week prior and um the bull stepped out and I just remember drawing back and it was like aim small miss small pick a spot and 
he stepped out against this kind of tree and I just had a tiny window right behind the front shoulder. And I kept like during that process thinking about that week prior of looking at the anatomy of the elk and looking at that golden triangle and saying, okay, I know the yardage is it's 21 yards and I know I can put an arrow right in that triangle. And, and it was, it was definitely, um, nerve wracking shooting basically what you would call the crease of the shoulder and putting an arrow in where you think the shoulder blade is, but knowing that that's just meat in the shoulder and, uh, shot that bull and world went 20 yards and fell over dead. And I had pretty much at that point, like felt like I was going to go with an unpunched tag. And, um, basically the vote of confidence of being around a couple dead elk that week, knowing the elk anatomy, I was able to, to pull through and, and fill my tag. And it, it definitely, you know, I mean, I think one of two ways could have been about it of, uh, you know, I, sh- I shot an arrow, I had blood from a bull that I'd hit in the shoulder blade and I could have, you know, um, punched my tag and, and sat on the bench and felt okay about it. But at the same sense, um, you know, kind of like what Crockett says, you get bucked off a bull, you got to get back up on it and, and ride it again. And that's definitely kind of what I felt like if I would have sat out and the whole year it would have haunted me and kind of had less confidence and, you know, Ty and Steve and Trevor and Trent all kind of picked me up and like, man, you got to get back on the horse and ride again. And, um, so I think that was the, the, the big failure was shot placement, you know, and, and not quite knowing that anatomy where it needed to be. And then when the time came after, uh, you know, a couple of weeks of hunting later and a couple of dead bulls really studying that anatomy and understanding where that arrow needs to be and, um, got the, got the deal done. So it's pretty, pretty awesome. Yeah, I think having having a really good understanding of the anatomy is you know absolutely critical there when you're in that shot placement kind of you know that that second of knowing can I make the shot or can I not and is it you know a good shot to take? Yeah, hundred percent. I mean, and there's a I um you know I think there's a fine line between great hunters and killers, and there's definitely you know there's there's points in time when you have to make the shot, and it's not like the the magic shots going to arrive and it's broadside leg forward looking the other way. And I mean, this bull was alerted. He came in looking for another bull. Um, but when he cleared the tree, it like, it all made sense. And anyways, that was the last bull on the DVD, the reason, and, uh, it was pretty, pretty triumphant for me. So definitely a, a comeback for sure. It's time to hear from Nathan Jones on his failure and comeback story. It seems like this would be a simple question, right? But, but even when I was when I was thinking about it yesterday, I was like, man, you know, this I, I don't know, hunt failures are so common for me at least. I don't know what the other guys think, but or what you guys think that it almost becomes the norm. So figuring out like which failures are more notable, I guess <laughs> it 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 was a little difficult. But one that one that came to mind. Um, so we talked about, you know, my uncle Larry kind of being an inspiration in my life. Um, he, when I, when I was in my early twenties, um, he would take, we, we'd, we'd go on uh, several hunts a year together. Um, and at the time he was producing, uh, the TV show for Boner, Boner magazine. Um, and before that he promoted his business with, 
with videos and stuff. So he kind of, over the years, taught me a little, some basic video skills. Um, and when I say basic, very, very basic stuff, setting up tripods, hitting the record, um, you know, ba basically carrying heavy stuff, you know, camera caddy kind of thing. But anyway, so when, that's just kind of like a, a little bit of a precursor to uh, some minor experience with video production um, at a young age. Fast forward to 2009. My brother-in-law at the time he was uh, he was uh, he was building uh, like rural subdivisions, kind of small subdivisions. And um, by by 2009, he was he was getting beat up pretty good in the construction industry. And I, and I think he was ready for a change. I don't. I, I won't go into all the details how he got affiliated or how he came to this thought, this idea. He calls me up one day and he says, "Hey, man, I, I, uh, I'm, I'm going to start this. Uh, I'm going to start a TV show, and uh, I need you to. I, I want you to video the pilot episode. That's that's what I need. I need a pilot episode, and I have to submit it by this time. And you know, what do you think? And, you know, the 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 video." stuff that I mentioned before was a huge opportunity for me to go and experience stuff. You know, I, you know, always get gear out of the deal or, you know, make a, make, make a small wage and it was, it was pretty, pretty neat uh, for a young guy. So, so I jumped on the opportunity and said, yeah, oh, absolutely. Well, the, the, the timing worked out that we were going to do a, a spring bear, bear hunt. Uh, Oregon spring season was pretty, is pretty lofty. It's about two months and, at the time, the 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 bear seasons or the bear the bear hunting craze really wasn't here yet. So I mean, it was still you could you could access a lot of country um, by driving. Um, bears were easy to see; they're plentiful. So it, it seemed like a logical log, logical thing for us to try. And so, and I mean, very basic. I I, I wish I had more time to describe to you how. Like how comical it was. Like he he's buying equipment off eBay. Um, you know, we're we're gonna be these big time, you know, video guys and he's gonna start this episode and it's gonna be easy, right? It's just gonna be simple. Well it was not simple. Um and this is kinda where the failures come in. <laughs> the the so many things were exposed uh, in the beginning as far as like, you know, video productions. I don't have to tell you guys. I know you do a um, kind of a little production company or whatever. So you're very familiar with this, but it's, it's, it's kind of a, it's a, it's very much a creative outlet um, for somebody. You have to be able to tell a story and that person behind the camera is kind of the one telling that story through, through a creative process. I did, I did, I, I didn't, I don't have a creative process. Like I, I, the experience that I had was very, so basic. And when, when, when it came time for me to be, be the one setting this stuff up, it was, it was pretty rough. Um, so that, so the beginning, we, we ended up, we ended up getting a couple bears early. Uh, his wife got one. Uh, his son or stepson got one. Um, but I mean, the content was clearly like, it was not, it was not next level stuff. It was, so the pilot episode needed to be this 
like this showpiece, right? To dis- display your skills and abilities. Like it had to be what was selling the idea to get the networks to say, yes, well, we want to, we want to make a spot for you. We want to, um, you, you know, we want to put you on our, on our networks basically. Well, so it was definitely a stressor, right? We knew it wasn't quite what he, what he had in mind. Um, we weren't getting the, the next level bears, the trophy bears that we were expecting. Um, and, and I mean, it was a grind for two months. And if you would have asked me how long would it take you to kill four bears, I would have said, uh, two weeks. Like, I mean, it was just pretty good at, at, at rounding up bears, pretty good at making things happen. And like this, this extra element of video and it was not what we expected. Um, so it came down to the last couple days and I remember thinking, man, this is, this is not going to happen. We, he had committed to timelines. He had committed to, um, it wasn't like, Hey, we already, he already has all these episodes. You can combine it with another one or do a no kill episode or things that other shows do that are already established. I mean, you can't do that for a pilot show. So, um, it came down the last couple of days and it was just one of those miracle things. Like we, I want to say 10 years ago now, but I want to say we both killed bears on the same, same day, big 300 pound, just picture perfect Oregon spring bear, black, black bears. And looking back, I, I, I still don't know how it all came together. Um, and then once we killed the bears, we still had to figure out how to do the interview things and just put it all together. So, I mean, that whole pilot episode probably took two and a half months, and I'm sure it went way over budget and yada, yada, yada. But, you know, so, so, the, so the, the two and a half months were the, were the failures. But it, it wasn't really a failure. At the end of it, we pulled it together. Um, he submitted his 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 pilot episode and he I mean he still has a program going today. I mean he's built this very, very successful business and 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 I I didn't have anything to do with that other than with a little contribution we just talked about, but it's still kinda kinda cool to think back. It's like I did have a small role in that and like mm-hmm. I said, he he's going to this day and built several successful businesses around that 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 kind of that brand. So it's kind of cool. It worked out to be a success story in the end. Yeah. How does uh, a hunt like that when you're just in the grind for not even days or even weeks, but like you're talking two months, like how do you stay in that mentally continue to have like a positive attitude, know that it can come together, that type of thing? Yeah. At the end of the day, it's still hunting, right? So it's still better than your, your worst day hunting, still better than your, your best day at work. But, and and when I say two months, um, I should clarify that, you know, we, I have have nine to five or whatever, and family and stuff at the time too. So it was, you know, long weekends, three four day trips. It was, you know, get out on a, you know, one night meet up on the hill, and and so I mean, it it was broke up like that um, a little bit. So it was, it was probably easier to maintain a, um, you know, a, a positive attitude, but. But yeah, I mean, you're right. It's tough at the, at the end of it. It's like, you know, you know, you just question yourself and it's just like maybe a new hunter questioning themselves on, 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 um, you know, on their first elk hunt out west it, it, that we were both accomplished hunters, 
but the video thing was, you know, you went in thinking it was gonna be one thing, and then it's like you got punched right in the mouth. It was, it was, it was 100% different. So, um, it, so it, it's probably not your conventional hunting story, but there's a lot of parallels because we're still hunting, and it was just a totally different experience than we thought. Um, and I, and I went on doing to do it. We, we did several episodes together over the years, and. Um, I'm just not particularly fond of video in general, but it, it really, <laughs> it, it, it does, it, the people who enjoy it are, it's very clear, um, but it, it def, for me, it, it definitely takes away from, from just the, the purity of hunting. Here is Ben Gatormson sharing his failure and comeback. When I try to look back at, you know, the time that I spent, I try to keep an open mind about things and I, I, I know a lot of people put a lot of pressure on themselves. Um, and they, they gauge failure and success on filling a tag or maybe, you know, taking an animal home, whatever, whatever you want to look at it in the big scheme of things. It's a, it's a game that you're playing. You know, you're, it's your wits against the animal's wits. And, um, always, always be learning, constantly be evolving. And I just, I, I have a tendency to be as positive as possible. And I think mental attitude and, and being, um, being in a mindset that you're not gonna, um, you, you know, you, you, you may lose this one, but you may win the next one. And, um, I mean, a, a, a most recent example of this, um, and I've had this happen a couple different times, where I've set my sights on a, on a particular animal. Um, I can think of two different instances. One was a, an antelope that I was pursuing with a bow. Um, and another was a, was an elk and, um, it's just persistence and mental attitude and just, you know, yeah, you're going to be frustrated. Things aren't going to go your way. Um, there's no script that's being read by, yourself or, you know, the animal you're pursuing and, you know, you just you take from it what you can. So, I mean, in my eyes, I don't, I don't feel like there's failure is the right word for it, but, uh, in both those instances, um, I mean, in one in particular on the elk, I, I pursued a one particular elk for two different, for two seasons. And, um, I, I lost track of that bull, um, a few days into the second season with, you know, other hunters, wolves, you know, weather conditions kind of all having an impact on, on their movement patterns. And, um, you know, I mean, don't, don't hold it against yourself. If if you can't find the animal, if you can't locate or, you know, put all your eggs in that one basket, you just kind of move on. You know, you, I, I stayed positive. I started pursuing other, other animals in the area and, um, was lucky enough to almost accidentally put myself in a situation where I could harvest that animal. I had no clue he was there and I was pursuing a different animal. Um, the bull that I was after started engaging with, um, the bull I had been after without me knowing. And, you know, I mean, without a distinct bugle or anything like that, it's, it's hard to, 
to really say that, you know, that's the bull that I've, I've been after. And lo and behold, the, the bull came by and I was able to make a good shot with, uh, with a bow. And, you know, that's, that's the end of that, that story with that particular animal, two years, um, two full seasons, you know, I'd had him, had him in close a couple times, probably less than a hundred yards, but just never, never had it come together. And, um, I knew of a couple other people that had had interaction with him that were hunting up there. So, I mean, it's not like it was unknown. He was there, you know, it's not just me against him. It's, you know, you're that game you're playing, you're, you're against so many other things. And next is voice will recognize Steve Speck. Obviously, like like everyone, you know, you've been hunting for, I've been actively getting after it for 15 years now, which sounds crazy. Doesn't feel like that long. Um, lots of great stories to recount. Probably the one that stood out the most to me was Lenny and I's Alaska and moose hunt. Uh, I think this was 2014, 13 or 14, and um, it was it was just a it was the hardest hunt we had ever done from. I'm going to say not necessarily physically. It was a very, very physical hunt, uh, but mainly mentally. You know, we essentially what happened is we, you know, it's our first ever trip to Alaska. So anyone who's can probably put themselves in that shoes, that excitement of leaving the lower 48, going up to Alaska to do a hunt. I mean, what hunter hasn't dreamed of that? And and we're doing this moose hunt. We know it's not like uh, going into it. We know it's not going to be this epic mountain, beautiful country that it's a little bit more low lowland rolling hills you know ponds and stuff like that uh, but still we're going to alaska and we're absolutely jacked we get dropped off out in the field and we're literally the the best thing i can equate to is we were, we were duck hunting for 14 days uh we get dropped off the, the the pilot lands on this little lake or pretty big lake actually um they drop you off on the edge of the bank it's there's brush literally everywhere where you're standing, where he's like, this would be a good place to camp. We're standing in it and we're literally as you, it's kind of dry ground, but as you stand there after about 30 seconds, all of a sudden your toes are underneath water. And then a couple, five minutes, all of a sudden your ankles are underneath water. Um, and you know, the pilot, pilot, we unload all our gear, everything's in dry bags. So we're like, okay, we're, we're good. Nothing's getting wet at the immediate moment, but you know, the pilot takes off and Lenny and I both look at each other like, where in the hell are we? <laughs> like, what's going on? How are we going to hunt this? Um, you know, it was, a, it was a big, just like, holy crap moment of uh, we were completely out of our element, right? We're, we're backpack hunters, uh, used to being up high in the mountains on, on big peaks and hunting big country that you can glass. And we're on the edge of this lake that, uh, and then there's a, you know, we got like the alder brush goes right up to the bank and it's 15 feet tall in places and, and you can't even crawl through it, right? Like it's uh, it's so intertwined and woven together and so thick that the only way to get through it for, for us was luckily we had a little handsaw and we had to cut trails out of camp just to get to like clearings and stuff that we could hunt. So cutting a, cutting a trail would take two hours to go 100 yards. Um, so we... <laughs> Essentially, it was, we got there, we weren't seeing moose, we're stuck, like, we're shin deep, knee deep in water, all day, every day. Uh, it was poor, I think the day one was good weather, day two and three, it rained nonstop, 
the wood wouldn't burn, so we couldn't start a fire. Um, it, it was just like we really quickly got super negative and down, right? Like, you know, this effing sucks. What are we doing here? Like, you know, we're being whiny little, you know, biatches, like complaining under the guy on the end. Like, we want to be moved. And, um, you know, and then meanwhile, they're, you know, they're super busy pilot service and they're busy and they couldn't get us moved. And, um, but we were just bombed. Like the first time we've ever spent any kind of, you know, I think we spent, at the end of the day, about seven grand on this hunt, which is a lot of freaking money. Um, and to go up there and have this kind of experience, we were just really, really bummed. Um, but after day four or so of like, okay, we're stuck here. We got to figure out how to make the best of this situation. Uh, we're, we've, we're not seeing any moose. I don't think we had seen a moose yet. Or I, I, we actually recorded a podcast on this for anyone listening. I don't know what episode it was. Maybe Mark, you can put it in the show notes. It's been a few years ago. Um, but uh, we, we basically had no choice but to get a positive attitude, figure out how we could be productive hunting because we, we, you couldn't glass. Uh, you couldn't walk around. the. Uh, essentially, once you got right on the edge of the lake was – shin deep and then once you got 100 yards away from it 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 became knee deep to thigh deep just kind of mushy stuff that you walk through we'd i know one day we tried walking around the bottom edge of the lake and you know it took an entire day to go a few miles it was absolutely ridiculous so you kind of had all these excuses and barriers to to just quit and call it you know call it a day and uh you know, we, we turned around our attitudes and in the end of the day, we both ended up killing uh, moose, uh, both of them, we not without their challenges, both of them, I killed mine with a gun, Lenny ended up, got really lucky, he was able to get his done with a bow, uh, we killed them like 15 minutes apart, which was crazy, and uh, they both died in the water, Lenny's was actually floating out in the lake, which was quite the experience, we had this, that was part of the, one of the other challenges, is they, they did drop us off with this little inflatable canoe, but it was so windy, we would go, we were kind of, where the camp was, was this little inlet. It maybe went in 75 yards from the edge of the lake, so it was kind of protected from the wind. But the second we would paddle out there, we would literally be blown in circles. Like you, you couldn't go anywhere because uh, it just, the wind was so strong. And uh, so we had just, we had all these challenges that, that uh, uh, said at the end of the day, we, were, we got a super good attitude about it and made the hunt the best that we could. And, and we had a great experience and it was definitely a, a lesson learned on our first trip up to Alaska. So um, I guess big picture takeaway was when things go bad and suck, you still just got to keep a good attitude uh, and make the best of the situation that you have in front of you. Yeah. If listeners want to hear that whole story, it was actually way back episode nine, number nine, or here, here's a brilliant little tidbit. And this is how I found what episode it was. Just Google horrible alaska moose adventure and we're actually the top result <laughs> are you serious yeah because <laughs> i knew i knew in the title of the of the podcast that it had something to do with horrible and so i just i googled horrible alaska moose adventure and it's the first thing in google that's funny uh yeah i mean we during it it sucked but we you know at least we get a laugh about it now and, and have some great stories to tell so i'll have to go back and listen to that podcast and refresh my mind because there was so many different scenarios, things we went through. It just, uh, you couldn't sit. Like you, if you didn't, like we would go do a calling session. I'd stand in one spot for five, six hours and not move. 
uh, and you're shin deep in water the entire time. Tough hunt. You had every reason, every excuse to let it beat you down and make you want to quit. But the the good thing about that scenario was there's no like we're not walking out. We're stuck there, right? So you either make the best of the situation you have in front of you, or or don't and just be miserable the whole time. Last and definitely not least, here is Russ Meyer. Failures and comebacks. I've had a ton of them <laughs> through all the years of my hunting, 38 years and, oh, I guess 28 years as a super freak, uh, bow freak. Um, but again, last season was a great example. <clears throat> I had drawn a bear tag that uh, I just pray I draw every single year. My partner, Corey, happened to draw it. As I did, we put in separately. So that was just kind of icing on the cake. Um, above and beyond that, Mike Moore, longtime mentor of mine, you know, he's, he, he loves that country and he's always a huge help and always wants to jump in and, and be involved. <clears throat> um, so kind of long and short, long and short of it. We, uh, <clears throat> you know, we, we, we started our hunts and, um, we, we basically had weekends. We had some long weekends and that's kind of the way I've always hunted for the most part. You know, we'll always get our week of elk and of course with my career now i i get the opportunity to go on some longer hunts but we kind of knew this spring hunt was going to be a weekend warrior hunt um but um right away we you know we started getting into bears and um there's one location there where we glass from and we we glass across a monster canyon probably oh anywhere from three to four miles across this mother canyon and um we picked up a bear and we could tell through the spotters that it was a bear that was super worth going after. And, um, uh, we had decided that I was going to pack across. Corey actually had his family there, so he wasn't really in a position just to put on the backpack and leave them for a few days. So, um, we ended up, uh, splitting up that next day and, and I, I packed in It ended up being about five miles and I was, we were really trying to determine what was the best route through the course of the season. I ended up, I think three different routes before we kind of uh, decided, which was the, which was the least of a butt kicker. (laughs) Um, anyway, when you talk about, you know, again, archery and and all the, all the, you know, mental aspects of it and physical aspects of it, and it changes year to year. And I think that's what really intrigues me with bow hunting, um, is you're just never going to perfect it. And, And, um, so anyway, going into this bear hunt, um, I ended up packing in and, uh, was actually able, was able to pick up the bear. And I can't remember exactly if it was the first day or second day, but long and short, I, I was able to get on the bear the first, I think it was the first, the following morning from when I packed in and it's all spot and stock. There's no baiting or anything. So I worked my way into this bear it was kind of late in the morning, um, and those, especially those big bears, they'll come out usually earlier in the evening and feed through the night, and then they're pretty early to bed. So I got on him, and uh, needless to say, I got to, I think it was 46 yards, and uh, I I was tracking him, and he was kind of feeding away and heading towards timber, and there was a one opportunity where he turned broadside and stopped, and I drew back, and it just didn't feel right. Um so I just let up, um, and I have those conversations a lot about, you know, sealing the deal and, 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 you know, <laughs> anyway, 
as a bow hunter, it's great to be in, in the conscious mindset of knowing once you draw back and wrap your trigger, is it a good choice to shoot at that moment? And it wasn't at that moment. So it was hard to do. I just let down, tried to move in a little bit. He dropped off and was gone. When you make that decision to shoot, or I should say to not shoot uh, after you've come to full draw, is that more... I want to say like data driven by externals such as like let's say wind or alertness of animal or distance or is that more driven inside of just not feeling like it's the right opportunity or both? Yeah, I think it's simply driven by <clears throat> once you draw back and wrap your trigger, you and I both know if you're standing at 50 yards at a range and and you draw back and you know you're going to you know um make a good shot. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. You know maybe maybe not necessarily hit the bullseye but you're just consciously going through, you know, the shot process and it feels good and you squeeze it off. Um, you know, getting to that point in archery is, uh, my opinion, you know, <laughs> one of the keys for sure. Um, as far as being able to capitalize on your opportunity or just wing it, you know, obviously buck fever is a nasty beast and we have to learn to control it. And, you know, I still have it after 30 years and, and you learn to control it. Um, the hard part, especially with newer bow hunters, is once you get on that release, the arrow's flying, right? Um, so conquering that is uh, uh, a, a tool to success for sure. But, you know, needless to say, it didn't, uh, it wasn't right, and I let down, and, and I tried to track in a little bit closer, and he was off the, off the edge into the timber, and, you know, that was that. Um, I, uh, I packed back across, and one thing really cool to add to that story, I think it was that night before I was glassing across the, the opposite mountain range where we had glassed from. And that's where Corey was with his family. And I was sitting there that evening before dark and I picked up this really big bear and he was probably, you know, three or four miles out. Well, there's certain sections up there where you have cell service, which was really cool. Needless to say, I had sent a text to Corey and I said, Corey, you know, I see a big bear off of this ridge line, and I never heard back of course, but, after I had kind of messed up the opportunity, not messed it up, but just, you know, that, that first opportunity on that bear uh, was over. I was up high enough. I got self-service there and my, I turned my phone on and, and uh, I got a little, you know, you know, a, a, a notification and I opened it up and it's just, it was awesome. It was perfect. Here's a picture of Corey with that giant, with a giant black bear on his back. And his response was, did he look like this one? <laughs> so, <laughs> awesome. so I'm up there by myself, just, you know, jumping around like you got that sucker, you turkey. And yeah. I wasn't, I still wasn't able to, I wasn't able to catch him or anything on the phone, but, uh, I was super excited. Needless to say, it, it ended up making my pack out a little more, you know, a little more fun rather than, uh, you know, kind of not having the opportunity on that big bear and, you know, packed out and met up with him. Of course we, we, you know, hooray and hugged and all that good stuff. But so anyway, so that was my opportunity at that bear. The following weekend, we ended up going up, uh, kind of a similar situation. We ended up, uh, uh, so of course, Corey had his, so he was going back. So this time he came in with me and we tried a different route, really kicked our butts to get in there. Um, we were able to pick him up again. We had glassed him the night before and found him. He was within probably a half mile of where he had been the week before. And, uh, kind of long story short, I ended up getting on him that evening and, um, he was off of a ridge line on some real open slope, kind of rolling little draws, 
kind of above timberline and I was working in on him. And it was one of those situations where the wind was perfect and I was patient, waited for the wind and I'm working in and it's just over this little roller with sagebrush. And I can see that eventually see the top of his back and I work in. So now I'm like in the zone, I'm in the mode and he's just over the ridge from me and all I can see is his hair. Right. So I'm creeping, I'm creeping and I'm trying to get a range. And I thought there was this little flower next to him and I ranged this flower at 30 yards. And I kind of hunkered down a little bit, moved slightly, came up. He never had lifted his head. He's just intently feeding, you know. Well, somewhere in there, he had to have really closed the distance on me. And or I'm not sure exactly what happened. Needless to say, he stepped out and I drew back. And I remember just kind of rolling up and I could see a good, the full half of his body. And I just kind of went over the little ridge line and shot. And I just watched that arrow go through the top of his back. Of course, then he lifts his head and spins. And at that point, I realized, holy crap, he's way closer than I thought. So he spins a circle and just dives off the mountain. And of course, now I'm kicking rocks, right? You know, the emotion you go through, mm-hmm. you know, it's not a vital hit. You just blew it on, you know, a beautiful bear and, you know, the whole wounding and all that stuff. And so I'm really, uh, I'm really bummed out and uh, working my way back up. Uh, kind of to a high point where I could glass and I'm thinking, well, whatever. And I kind of hustle up there and, and I'm not seeing anything pretty soon. I, he, he's literally down the hill, 150, 175 yards feeding. Wow. Again. I'm thinking to myself, no friggin' way. Right. Yeah. So I'm, I'm checking to make sure it's him. And I'm just like, there's no way there's another bear like that right there. It just, it doesn't make sense. It's, 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 it's called, it's him, you know, but still my brain saw the arrow go through his back. Now he's down there feeding. This is literally 10 minutes later, probably. And so I ended up working my way back down and get over the ridge and get on him. And he's actually kind of working uphill. Um, so I'm trying to cut him off. And needless to say, I'm I'm working and I'm kind of, there's a, there's a level of anxiety because the wind is blowing in a direction. And so we're tracking on a V to a point and the wind is going right to that point, Right. And I get to about 60 yards, he's coming. So I'm kind of rushing a little bit. Finally, he stops and feeds and I just get up a little bit closer, 46 yards. I kind of draw back in a hurry. I probably sh- kind of shot in a hurry. Didn't really go through the process that I mentioned earlier, you know, but mm-hmm. needless to say, I got on him and I shot and I saw a kick in my arrow right out of the gate. And then I just, you know, disappeared i didn't hear a hit I, I i lost track of my the arrow i don't have the vision i used to and he blew out of there and kind of ran around this basin and stopped about 80 80 90 yards and and just stood there looking and then he eventually just turned and and walked off and so i waited a bit went down there and it was in the evening so it was kind of getting darker quick and i went down there never could find my arrow couldn't find any blood i was quite sure i didn't hit him but you know spent a you know, three hours looking into the dark. And that was a really long night out, you know, after, after that was over, it was a a real long track of kicking rocks here. I had literally had one close opportunity the first weekend. Now I'm in the second weekend. I blew it on a, you know, 15 yard shot. Now I just blew it on a 46 yard shot. And I'm just thinking how, after all these years, how am I screwing it up still? You know what I mean? Right. Um, so, you know, it was a long pack out, um, that particular trek we took, we came out of the bottom. So it's a, you know, I think it ended up being like a 2,500 foot pull. 
you know, within a short amount of distance. And um, so needless to say, like I said, kicking rocks out. So now we're coming into the last weekend. We work our way up. We get up there and Mike's there and Mike again would help glass and we're at the glass spot there. And sure enough, we pick him up again. When I got to camp that, that, that day I had pulled into camp. I got out of my truck and the first thing I'm thinking, because through the week I was questioning my shooting, what was going on, my confidence, all those things we go through as bow hunters. And, uh, when I arrived, right when I got there, we're kind of unloading and Mike had, Mike was already gone at the glass spot and we were going to meet him and, and he was going to be glassing for a while. Anyway, I jumped out of the truck, grabbed my bow and you know, we have a target there in camp 30 yards and just, you know, center punched. It felt good. Went up, found the bear that night. So we watched until dark and came down and I was trying to contemplate, okay, do we want to go in there now or do we want to wait? And, uh, I chose to wait, which was, which was good in the end. Um, I, uh, decided let's just get up before light, you know, <clears throat> get back up uh, and glass and try to pick them up again. And, um, something was just telling me, you know, that's just the right choice. So we did that, which was good because we ended up finally picking up and he's going over the highest peak with this sow. He had hooked up with the sow we had seen as well. And he's going over this highest peak, this really just gorgeous onion basin, super low brush basin. And, and I just feel like, man, he's probably going to camp in there with that sow. And we got time. And so we buzzed back to camp and we're getting our packs ready. And I went ahead and grabbed my bow 30 yards. I shot and I see a kick in my arrow and it's like five inches right and five inches low. I'm like, what? So I go up, pull the arrow, go back, shoot again, center. So I go back to 40, shoot, you know, six inches right, six inches low, <laughs> pulled again, shoot in the center, go back to 60, completely missed the target. So now my brain's really fried, right? Yeah. Luck, luckily, you know, in that I had taken my, my other bow that I had stripped down because this was a new bow. I thought it was broken in and, you know, but there's always, you know, tweaks and things that, that, that as you're breaking in a bow. So at that point I immediately stripped my bow down, put all my stuff back on the old bow. It was stripped and, you know, within a half an hour out to 50 yards, I'm just drilling. So now my confidence is back up, which is huge. Confidence is king in the archery world. Right. So we ended up bailing down, you know, getting up in there, um, um, uh, we couldn't ever glass him the whole way in from where we camp the whole way. I just had to count on the fact that he was in that upper basin and the wind was terrible. So it ended up being a long day. I ended up just going solo, pulled the ridge, got up towards the top and I had to wait it out. I just wasn't going to crest that. I was just hopeful and confident he was going to be there. And to a point where I ended up going up over and I picked up the sow and I just, it was a big open basin. And as I'm looking across this basin, I can't see what's below me just because of the way it rolls into the basin, but I'm totally exposed. And I saw the sow across the basin and he, you know, I could see for 150 yards around her and he wasn't there. So something just kept telling me, man, he's got to be under me, you know? Well, then the wind ended up changing and getting funky again. I scrambled back out, dropped down the ridge about 300 yards and, uh, sat there and you know another 45 minutes an hour and then tw twice you know i started working my way back up the wind got really crappy i just chug a back down the mountain it's a steep hill so i'm going up and down it right <laughs> get wore out 
finally it was getting in the evening. The thermals really switched, got consistent. I worked my way up to the top and I crested over and, and found the sow again. And at that point, I just still knew he had to be there. I felt like he was going to be there. So I just belly crawled out where I could see down below me. And sure enough, there's these down there, 150 yards feed. And there was 124, I think to be exact. But so I crawled out and then it was kind of to the point of, okay, now I've got a decision to make. I got one more morning to hunt. There was actually a storm rolling in. The thermals are good right now. I know exactly where he is and I got to try to make it happen. So I backed off on this kind of this, this ridge line uh, to the east side of that basin and got down and crested over and he was 92 yards or something. And I was just like, if I can get to 50 yards, I'm going to take the shot. If I, if I don't, you know, I'm not going to push it. It's getting late. And so I just started to crawl. The sow was about 110 yards from me, but I was in a little pocket. She couldn't pick me up. And long story short, I got to 49.9 yards and I'm facing them though. So my feet are uphill as I'm crawling, sliding down through the, through this, you know, 10, 12 inch brush. And I got to the point, okay, I got to turn my feet all the way around. Right. And I got my bow and I'm spinning around and his butt's to me, which was great. The whole time his butt was to me feeding. So it, it worked out well. But as I was swinging my feet around to get, you know, <clears throat> point downhill, I ended up just clipping a little bush. And of course, he just lifted his head and spun around. And I'm just like, oh, no, mm -hmm. you know, nothing I could do. I'm sprawled out on the ground there. And uh, he just stared for a while. And pretty soon he just put his head back down and was perfectly broadside. So I was able to get my feet around, get my butt up underneath me, slowly got set up got super comfy, drew back, felt awesome, squeezed it off and just heart shot him. So needless to say, it was, uh, you know, pretty emotional. He bailed off the hill and, and, uh, within a few seconds, you know, I was hearing the, 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 the death moan. Um, and it was neat too, because I was able to get on the phone at the peak there. I had service and, and, uh, I knew Mike was probably across the Canyon, three miles watching things unfold. Yeah, and it was getting late enough at that point, he was having a hard time glassing that far, you know, and mm -hmm. plus he was looking to the West and the sunset and all those things. It was really tough for him to watch it, but I got him on the phone and he's just like, you heading out? And I was like, no, man, I'm, li I'm, I'm listening to a death moan right now. And he's like, what? Are you serious? <laughs> so, <laughs> it was pretty, uh, you know, pretty, uh, pretty awesome experience with Mike and, you know, via, via the phone, but um, so I went down and got him, but I guess long story short, failures to comebacks, you know, you could easily given up, but I was just steadfast on finding that bear, staying after him, um, you know, having the mental anguish of confidence with the bow and, and just trying to continue to fight through that and just, uh, I guess not giving up, you know, and in the end, yeah, you know, a, a gorgeous bear and, 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 you know, a story to tell my grandkids and, you know, <laughs> yeah. um, just a good one in the end. Well, that is a wrap on this one, guys. We hope you enjoyed this, this new roundtable series. Hope you tune back in next week as we tackle a new topic with these same six guests. If you want to subscribe to receive all future episodes and also go enter that Hoyt Helix Expo giveaway, just go to exomontgear.com forward slash podcast.